We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You've tuned into Lore Keepers, a podcast devoted to chronicling the serialized world building of a sprawling tapestry of interwoven lore. I'm Carter. And I've just noticed that we have the word serialized twice in the intro. We like cereal, Frank. We do like cereal. This season is split up into smaller parts. <laughs> there you go, Frank. Frank lost it. This season is split up into smaller parts, so it's a grab bag of goodies. It's fun-sized. So sit back, close your eyes, and let our tingling audio gateway sweep you into the realms of Halloween. So this week we are continuing where we left off uh, last episode, kind of. I mean, it's mostly just like we are in a series where we are talking about the scars of divinity. That is kind of the core theme that is unifying this series. And uh, this episode, we we mentioned a couple ago in the outline that we would be, um, you know, roughly structuring things according to what we wanted to, to, to go with and came up with some good ideas. So um, this episode, following through with that, we are going to be talking about um, the Divine War, the War of the Heavens. I mean, we don't really have a fancy name for it, I don't think. But basically just like the, the perpetual combat that is always going on between the angelic forces of the Ethereum and the gods who reside there and the uh, demonic and, and Davilian forces, just the fiendish forces, if you will, of the Absentium. And I think maybe we even touch on a little bit the aberrations and how they relate to all of that. But all told, uh, it, is, it is still like, I think we're looking at this through the lens of the scars of divinity. Um, but yeah, anyways, I think for all of that, is there any, I think we probably just start with an overview of what, what events we've talked about previously with the Divine War, or why we chose that this would be a theme that would be good, and just go from there. All right, Frank, you ready? Sure. You going to give an overview? No. Bellum Aeternalis. Well, we already have Bellum Obscura. We do. So it fits. It's is, that, is that the Eternal War, Bellum Aeternalis? I would guess. I just made it up. Sounds like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just made that up? Yeah. <laughs> All right, sure. Why not? The Eternal War. I mean, that, I think that is a good way of capturing the, the vibe of it, right? It, it is basically this endless combat that has never really stopped between the heavens and the hell. Once it got started, I think there was a lull. And I yeah, don't even I mean, know that when is, it got think, started, Frank. That's a good question for the... That is definitely something we'll want to establish. But sure. remember, what's our focus in this little serial? Scars of Divinity. So we have to think about how this war... That our focus should be how this war has affected either Sadar or the fabric of Halome or 
other planes. Specifically as it relates to the Materium, though, yeah. Yes. Um, I think for to start, what I would say is it would probably be good to just kind of lay some groundwork for what do we what do we want to do with this as a concept and like why you know does it have any presence whatsoever in our in our interests or or focus i mean first of all i think it's happening right is like i it'd be hard for me to imagine this kind of like sort of relatively classical contemporary fantasy that doesn't have something like this going on, right? This stuff dates back to like the mythos of, you know, Judeo-Christian roots and and like the Abrahamic traditions. And even before then, like basically I think there's always been this idea of like the light fighting the dark, you know, and yeah. that there's this perpetual battle between the two. Is that how we see this? And also is that how mortals would see this? I think would be a good place to start. Like before we even talk about the what's happening there are some fundamental differences in sort of the creation story of the materium from our own world right like one of the first things is there is no fall as we in in air quotes as as like you know in the abrahamic traditions there's this idea of like a deceiver who brought about sin as something that humanity now encounters and has partaken in the way that that things start in in Helume is that wrong was done to them, not by them, you know? I mean, I think obviously you could probably pivot that and adjust it however you will, but like the enormous consequence on the human psyche of the idea of I fucked up and therefore the world is bad because people are bad or people did something wrong is fundamentally different than we got attacked or or out of jealousy somebody hurt us and like yes. obviously with the or, you know original myth of you know the snake in the garden or the serpent or whatever um uh, like the, both are kind of present right like there is this idea that the only reason why humanity fell or at least a very much a a, a, a prevailing one is because the serpent deceived us but like you know so so it was an act of malice and jealousy but at the same time, like, you know, there, I, I just think it, yeah. Anyways, I don't, I don't need, need to b- belabor this, but like, how do you think that that affects things? Does that, do they, do you think mortals still see the difference between the Ethereum and the Absentium as, as a divide of like moral good and evil? I think so, because generally what mortals know is that like and i'm thinking like your typical person not your like high flutin academic type it's like look uh there's the heavens where you want to go when you die because if you go to the hells your soul get eaten by a devil and if you see an angel it's this like wondrous thing if you see a devil it's this scary thing and obviously we, we could play with that a little bit we could be like well maybe angels are scary too I mean, I would say it's maybe a little bit more of that. Like, because the thing is, is they're both powerful forces who, whenever a mortal interacts with them, their lives are irrevoc- irrevocably changed. And yeah. and the thing is, is like, yes, I fully, I, I think it goes without saying for sure that there is a, a, a level to which the gods are the ones who guide and uphold reality. But I think the thing is, is that I, I am getting a little bit further away every time we talk about it from this mentality where that makes them a implicit good 
and more that they are a powerful function and that they are a powerful function of reality that in, in, in the midst of which there are definitely benevolent forces, right? Because good is also a powerful function of reality. But the absentium, I wonder if it's more, not necessarily order and chaos, but like um, uh, uh, growth and decay or something like that, where it, it feels to me more like, I mean, and this is kind of how we've talked about it too with Halume, uh, so oftentimes we will characterize the planes of reality as almost like organs within a body or aspects of a body, um, again, the aspects of the body of Halume itself. And so... Maybe I wonder if there's almost more of a uh, it's not that the I'm not what I'm trying to say is, is it's not that that the good and evil is absent, but I wonder if it's more that people are judging it as somebody a, a healthy versus sick body. And you can be sick without being a bad person. And you can be a bad person and be healthy, but also I could easily see it as being a situation where some people judge the ill for their sickness like oh you know you brought this on yourself or something because we we see that in in our reality as well but I, I think also to take it like a little bit differently um when you're thinking of like an illness in this in the way of like a bacteria or some sort of like invader into the body mm. that makes you ill that's bad and the illness itself we often describe as oh that's bad it's not like that's true that's true so we talk about it in terms of like, obviously it's not like that's morally bad. This bacteria isn't like wronging you. We don't say that. It's just like no, this bacteria no, is bad for you. Help right. Them. But it's not, uh, what I would say is, is I don't think that the bacteria itself is a, is a evil. Like it's not that the, the bacteria is just doing what it does. Yes. Right. Like I don't think it's born of an evil seed. And as a result, like it is always like a cursed thing because we also have gut flora right that behaves almost identically the only difference is is it actually benefits our bodies versus like harming it you know it's true but when we're thinking about devils and demons they have reason they can choose to not do the things presumably it's a hard one to slice there because they're native a certain kind of nature true but i don't actually know that that's entirely true i i i think that it's a little bit more complicated than that they definitely have choice but I think yeah. that there is a, a sort of a limit to the kinds of choices that they make. And I think that that's actually true about angels as well. Like, I think that there is, I'm almost imagining there's a sort of like divine walled garden of thought that a being is allowed in. And the angels can maybe wonder what's outside the garden or they can try and like get up to the wall. But I think there is a thing when we're talking about these like morally good or morally evil things, especially because angels are meant to serve a function, right? I can totally imagine the gods engineering or tweaking them in a way to say there are limits on your behaviors and like what you can and can't do. And similarly, I don't know that it's a, you know, because like, honestly, this is sort of playing with some of that Abrahamic tradition stuff as well, right? Like there is a sense that I don't know how old, how far back this this theology goes, but there's this idea that the angels didn't have a choice and humanity did. And that was what made makes us different from angels is that angels are meant to serve God and they always will no matter what. Somehow somehow they ended up 
siding with the right one except for one third of them right who somehow decided to side with satan instead so not sure how you get there right that's always been one of those conundrums that christianity has has garbled around but like all all that being said it does make me wonder i don't know i maybe it's just a thing where where it depends on who you ask right i i think it's probably hard for us to try and imagine if we go all the way back but the thing is is what i was trying to get at was i think that devils don't have and demons don't necessarily have a lot of ability to choose the good thing the morally good thing as it would be seen by a lot of other people because of their uh engineering right the way that they have sort of been designed or that the design has been stolen and manipulated i think is kind of the way that we've played with it is like the absentium at least one of the things we talked about was that the mutes sort of figured out a way to engineer and bring forth demons and devils out of the out of the the source of the absentium, similar to the way that spirits arise from the ethereum. I I always thought it was slightly different because the essentium, you know, in terms of what it is, is um it lacks the kind of latent energy that we see in the abstracts, like the power. And it does. so like, I, yeah, all demons and devils are originally mortal souls that have been fucked with. Well, so one of the things we originally talked about a while ago, I don't know that they were mortal souls, um, but I, I, I do remember we kind of talked about using the same thing or a similar thing to what was happening in the, the dark Eldar's pocket dimension place where they're like building or 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 gestating these beings and i think if i'm remembering this correctly and maybe i'm not what would you say that's where all the dark eldar live i think it's cormagan i've never pronounced yeah cormorog i think yeah cormorog yeah 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 In, in there there are these like flesh priests or something who basically like build monstrous beings for them to use or something or no oh i think it's because the dark eldar don't get born and so there's basically they figured out a way to sort oh, of oh no like i think you're getting confused with engineer. the demon kolaba Col- Col- or whatever those are the this chaos space marines no there's there's the dark eldar explicitly it's a way that they're sort of like quote unquote reproducing is if they die i think they have a way of putting their their spirit into a new body similar to the way that the normal eldar do but like instead of sort of being part of the infinity circuit or whatever the eternity yeah. circuit they actually just get a new body i see and so if they lose whatever that like crucial link is then they don't actually have the ability to do that but the the bodies that they're putting them into are engineered by some sort of flesh priests or something okay. in the like in the in the bowels of of uh Cormorog. uh but i i say that just to to, to say I, I first of all i don't know if i ever would have agreed with the idea that it's just mortal souls that have been con- like perverted because i think i've just always hated the idea that demons or devils are just like a warped spirit of of a mortal i feel like they should be a fundamentally different thing because then what's to say that a person doesn't also become an angel when they ascend and i feel like it maybe flattens things or makes it i don't know i guess we could make it interesting well, yeah, I mean, yeah I just, you were you'd that have would, to sell me on it but there, that would imply that angels are made the same way 
demons and devils are, which I could, which, you know, we could just say, no, they're not. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Good point. So I agree. I don't think that it's the absentium. But like, I think so we, we could go either way. I don't think the, the absentium causes rise of demons and devils, but I do think that it is them sort of gestating them in some way and gathering. We could say it's either, you know, fragmented mortal spirits or it's, you know, sort of this oversoul type shit that we sometimes gesture at that rises out of the ethereum. Maybe, Frank, you know how you have an egg. And when you crack okay. the egg, you get the yolk and the egg whites. Okay. Still maybe, following you. Maybe the, the mortal spirit is the yolk and then it's like power or soul or whatever. I forget what we separate these things uh-huh. as. Is the uh-huh. egg whites. And then soul. so they. Okay. So they just get the egg whites. Out. They juggle the yolk and the egg, you know, when you're. So the, you're saying demons have no spirit, but they are exclusively all soul. Yeah, that's interesting. There you go. Because the thing is, is that that soul energy, when a person dies, so far as I have, I have been imagining it. When a person dies, we get a situation where their spirit is sort of like clipped from the mortal coil, and it, with all of sort of the soul that it has garnered, you know, built up around it, like a you know, like a pearl or whatever. And we've talked about this before. Starts to drift towards. You know, if you're in Everest, it probably towards the uh, Fenestal Ocean, so it can kind of rise up on one of those bridges and go to the Ethereum, right? That's what normally is supposed to happen. If a person is around for long enough, the soul, uh, sort of the leaves of soul, start to uh, drift away from the spirit and, and become so distant that they can't be recovered. The question of, like, what happens to those leaves of soul energy is... You know, maybe the first answer, let's imagine a situation without the absentium. I was going to say before, but I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Without the absentium, it might just kind of dissolve and turn into latent magical energy or something. Yeah, I think it just dissolves. Because that's what the magical energy is, right? Is it's abstracts that have sort of like coalesced and like fused with a soul. And so it sort of like, you know, does like a magical equivalent of radioactive decay where it like decays back to its base elements of just abstract. And so maybe there's somewhere in between the two where like the absentium has done something to siphon that. And they're turning that energy into a soul without a spirit. Somehow they figured out a way to sort of just gather up the soul and contain it, these soul energies without a spirit. I think they might be hard pressed to like set up a siphon to get all the bits that are left over from anyone mm-hmm. on Sidor, I think it's mm-hmm. more likely they just like fucking kidnap souls and then fucking slurp the soul out and then get the the spirit bit and just fucking toss it. Uh, y- yes, absolutely. I don't think it's that they're. I, I yeah, exactly. I don't think that they're carefully collecting this one person's soul energies and recombining it into that soul again. Because there's not a lot of point to that, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, th- th- this isn't a single barrel malt. This is, you know, we're just sort of sourcing from 150 different soul energies that we picked up along the way. And we're just p- dumping all of them into the same vat and just sort of like pouring out whatever comes out into the forms of these demons or devils, etc. A little modification to that, or, or maybe like an elaboration. We've talked before about how signing de- uh, deals with demons or committing yourself to the mutes or, you know, these archdevils or whatever. 
I guess it'd be signing a deal with the devil, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, there are ways to commit yourself to any of the essential forces. It sort yeah. of acts like a beacon to sort of sweep you up and collect you. And I could totally picture a situation where this is the rare exception to the rule. Maybe instead your spirit is actually like kind of held in stasis and the soul and, and like demons or devils are watching and waiting for you to die and also counting on it, right? So that they can extract all of it. And so then spirits become these highly prized commodities in the absentium that they use for very specific purposes. Like maybe some of the highest of the high, like you have served us well kind of things. It's, it's not even a pact where we're going to destroy your spirit or use it and enslave it in some way but we're actually going to reassemble your soul and spirit in a new body or collect as much as we can and make you sort of an archlord or like a deacon or something like that. So it's a way of like rewarding those who, who follow the mutes. All right, Frank, my last word on this, cause we need to, we need to get onto we the actual to, yeah. uh, battle major analysis. Um, yeah. What if, and this is a suggestion uh, what if, also, they use some of these souls of the not favored ones. What if that is what, or a part of what, these fuckers, who we call mutes, get their power from? Because we've often said that they just, like, get them from mortals. Maybe they just fucking eat them. Gobble them up. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think the thing that we've played with before is, like, there is some way that they're kind of subsisting off of the soul energy, right? And, and they're kind of making it last. Maybe similar to, you know, kind of not too far off, but for different reasons than the way that like vampires are uh, vampires are doing it. But Frank, what if it's specifically the mutes are the only ones who can like digest spirit? Oh, maybe. I mean, but then how do you like reward or punish devils and demons? I don't know. I guess I've always liked the idea of using soul energy as sort of a, like a narcotic associative well, i'm making a distinction here between spirit and soul oh you're saying they can digest the spirit not the soul yeah the immortal oh. kernel because they're so powerful they can crack it suck it suck off the juices they get the yoke or like cholesterol yeah maybe it's something like that i mean like the thing is i think it's a fundamentally different type of thing than what a soul energy is like soul energy is maybe a lot less complex kind of like what you're saying I don't know if you break both of them down if they both turn into magical energy. Like, I think that spirits might actually be, I mean, I don't know. It could be like an interaction between the fundament and the, and the materium in some weird way. I'm not sure. That's not super important for today. It's not germane to what we're actually talking about, I don't think. And we do need to move on, I agree. But yeah. so just last thing there, uh, I think you're right. And, and to be clear, I wasn't thinking that it was like the spirit and soul of only the people who are committing themselves are mm -hmm. the ones that are getting drawn to the absentium. I think that they, the reason why those like Vel Valkyrie type people like angels exist uh, under, you know, the guidance of the moon sisters is because there is this battle for spirits after they die. Right. And maybe they have tried fucking with a rune and it just doesn't work. Cause every time they go there, magic is like corrupted. Right. And it breaks down. So they're just like, well, I, man, you could go for it, but it, I don't think it really works. Or maybe it's demons. Maybe demons do a thing in, in uh, because they don't really care if they're driven into a mentally altered state or not. Like it's it's all the same to them. I right. There that, was yeah. no norm for them. OK, well, that's a Anyways. good segue, Frank, into yes, the eternal war, because this is both a war of protection of their mm -hmm. home, the angel's home, 
as well as of trying to like get rid of the demons and devils and also of trying to protect the mortals because the demons and the devils want to typically consume the mortals in some fashion or just completely right. destroy them depending on which mute and you know what exactly is going on here and the and the angelic the um etheric forces they want to protect them how often do you think uh, yes to all of that following up with it how often do you think do you see this as a war fought between um, a multitude of fronts and two of the fronts are one that's straight up just attacking the ethereum and the ethereum fighting back or and the other is is just the materium or are they somehow all intermingled into one like because you're absolutely right that is definitely one of the big reasons why the ethereum and the materium or, or and the absentium are at war but i think the thing is is even if the materium wasn't existing somehow you know let's say you know the 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 one who was was able to actually destroy the materium I still get the feeling that those who recovered in the absentium would would try and go after the Ethereum. Yeah. And I don't think it's a thing where it's like there's a nexus between the two and the Materium is where they do battle. Um, I think it's absolutely where they do battle, right? But we've also talked about Osteos as being these pathways through the bones of Halume. Um, and it's, our it's not all complete. It's not it all deep ethereal. Corrupted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well... Eh, kind of i think it's more like limbo but yes it, it has the purpose that it serves is like the deep ethereal in, yes, in traditional it, it is not realms. like the deep ethereal in like lore or in flavor but it functions yeah. as the deep but ethereal. in function yes yes i agree with that i agree with that um but yeah do you see it as like a war fought between multiple fronts or like a campaign that is sort of like like a military campaign, I mean, that is just kind of, yeah, I don't know. Like, do you, th where I, do you think the battlefronts are? That's, I guess, what I'm trying to ask. I see where's it the, where's the of, combat, right? I see it as more of a cold war with the occasional, like, weird proxy wars or, like, some out and out fighting than, like, World War II, where the, the demons are storming the, you know, beach at Normandy and they're getting gunned mm -hmm. down by ethereal fucking arrows idea i don't know why i decided to make the the ethereal the uh the the um ethereum into the, the Nazis. demons are the <laughs> allies <laughs> but there you go uh, <laughs> now that's that's where i think the morality thing is like okay no there are actually some act legitimately just evil forces that you can gun down without really thinking about it yeah i don't know no i mean okay I agree with that. I think that it depends on, I would say, I think it depends on when in history we're talking about. Cause what I could imagine is there is a period, right? Where during the, the time of the materium, the Ethereum is cut off from it. And through Osteos, you can eventually worm your way into the materium from anywhere, right? That's one of the weird things about, uh, Osteos that is, we've just never really bothered to explain is like somehow, a being that's in Osteos long enough undergoes like fundamental changes to their nature that convert spirit into flesh or vice versa, or it can do that. It doesn't, it's not guaranteed, but like it, you could end up with a weird situation where like, I don't know, demons and devils were able to make their way into the materium during Avum Secunda after like the bridge had been severed. 
I can imagine that the angels were also able to do a similar thing. We've actually played with the idea. We threw it out fairly recently that like perhaps maybe mortals wouldn't have survived without the assistance, the aid of, of the divine during the ash curse. And that was actually where a lot of the angels came from. And maybe it got more and more difficult or like, you know, less angels were coming back or something like that. All of this to say though, that like, I think that maybe during the, during Avum Secunda, there was a lot of this much more hot war and the absentium tried to just like hammer them repeatedly over and over and over again. And it didn't really seem to work, right? Like it kept them at, they were able to keep them at bay and they weren't, Ethereum wasn't advancing on absentium in this, what I'm imagining, but they're also not losing any ground. And so yeah. it is sort of like a World War I situation, trench warfare sort of stabilizes into a let's re-rack and see if we can get through in other ways, but we're just going to pull away from these lines for now um, because it's clearly not working. So I and think so, that... And maybe that coincides with Avum Tertius somehow, right? Like there's sort of this revitalization of magic. Some of the mutes start to get some ideas about like maybe new ways that they can approach Ethereum. But yeah. Yeah, I think starting with the kind of World War One vibe, where there's like more of a World War One vibe in mm-hmm. a few places, like maybe Osteos or stuff like this. But uh, I feel like, especially in the later Avum, Ava, the it feels much more Cold War because I don't think the mutes want to go yes. toe-to-toe with the regions. I think the mutes have more mobility and that like they can leave the Absentium in ways that the mm-hmm. regents can't leave the Ethereum. It's but, definitely uh, in an asymmetrical warfare. I fully agree with that. The tactics being used on both sides are very different from each other. Yeah, and so they don't want to really fight into the Ethereum until they know they can win, and they know they yeah. can't win at the moment. So they're looking for advantages, and the way they try to get those advantages, I think, is through the materials, through Sadar. Can I make a really weird comparison that might actually be useful to us? Okay. You remember uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I, I was trying to kind of get us into Netrunner and like teach you how to play Netrunner. And yes. you know, we played a few games online and stuff. And it like, it kind of worked, but it's, you know, I don't know. It didn't really work all that well. Or maybe we just, we just didn't come back to it because we weren't blown away by how fun it was for the two of us. But yeah. I think there is a really cool thing for anybody who's familiar with this, with the Netrunner mechanics, which is that it is a inherently uh, asymmetric card game where one player is playing a corp and another player is playing a, a Netrunner who are like basically like hackers, you know, very, very heavy cyberpunk vibes here. And so what the Netrunner can do and what the corp can do are very different, fundamentally different stuff. So like corps can play cards which are like viruses or it's called ice which is intrusion countermeasure electronics i think is what that's short for intrusion countermeasure electronics ice and uh you know and so and then the netrunners have to hack through it i think i could see a comparison made between the two because a lot of the stuff that like what the the strength of the regions is maybe less broachable like it's it's much harder to like break um because they are not just enshrined but they're enthroned but there are different degrees 
right? Because you also have those gods that are enshrined, but you also have gods that aren't enshrined, right? Yes. And so a lot of their strength comes from their public perception. How the world sees them literally defines their nature in a lot of ways. And so I can totally imagine a situation where, like, there are literally anti, like, uh, anti-ethereal propaganda campaigns run by some of the smarter devils because it will literally weaken the uh, strength of the, of the forces. They become less of an impenetrable wall. And so I can imagine a lot of, like, backdoor type stuff. Like, I think, I think you're right. I think that the absentium is fighting with more, like, guerrilla tactics. Absolutely. You know, sneak in, try and break this down, and then that gets, attempts to get rebuilt. And to be clear, I'm not, uh, I'm not casting any sort of uh, ethical implications about, like, I don't know. I, in, in the world of Netrunner, I'd probably aside more with the Netrunners than the, than the corpse. But it's fun to play either side in the game because it's about the mechanics of the thing. And I think yeah. that the mechanics of the thing are a good comparator, a good metaphor to come back to if we need to describe something. Yeah, and the ethics of, like, guerrilla warfare and being an insurgent against, like, a government, is, it, it, it highly depends on the, what the government's like, the methods you're employing, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you're fighting the Nazis, I don't know if you can bomb a fucking, like, church to send a There's message that... to them. Like, I don't think that's okay. Because... There's that BTB episode uh, recently that, like, came out that talked about the, the Jews who basically tried to destroy Germany yeah. uh, from the inside. And, like, I think that... And this is post-World War II Germany. Yes. I, I think I would agree with Robert Evans on, uh, on his uh, uh, evaluation there of, like, I am... He was saying this, but, like, I am not in a place where I can judge these people one way or another because I have not been through what they've been through. I cannot account for their actions. It's not... I wouldn't condone, yeah. you know, like poisoning an entire population or whatever but also this is on the nazis as much as anybody else like if the nazis hadn't done it they wouldn't have created people who are yeah, in, in, this in, place in, in many place, in many know? important ways what these like uh, jewish people are doing when they're trying to kill innocent germans is not entirely their own fault because of what the nazis did to them the nazis Still fundamentally bad. broke them as people these the are all concentration is, camp survivors. Yeah, the act itself of, of, of killing an innocent family is still bad. Yes. But then there is the question of, like, innocence, you know, right? It is difficult. It becomes more muddied in the same way that, like, what is an individual's responsibility with uh, the global climate catastrophe that we're currently living through, right? Like, you do have some responsibility, even if you're not the, the, the main one doing all of the bad shit, like flying your private jet everywhere because you just leave it locked up in your garage. Um, but, like, there is still a level of culpability where it's like, you still have some responsibility. I just don't, it is, it is difficult to not let that just, like, tip over into neoliberalism in a way that is completely useless and, and like, not actually helpful on a practical level of how are you affecting the world. Anyways, yeah. I feel like I'm definitely going down the wrong path here, like, uh, 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 getting us further and further afield from what we're actually yeah, talking so, about. Yeah, but essentially, yes, the... the the devils, the demons, all these essential forces, they, the fiends, they are trying to get advantages on Sadar by mm -hmm. utilizing the people on Sadar, both as, a, as resources in order to gain more power, but also as ways to 
as you were saying, Frank, to weaken their enemy. Absolutely. Especially because like some gods can be unenshrined or there are it is extremely difficult and extremely rare, but it does happen. Right. Gods that are enshrined doesn't necessarily mean that they're enshrined forever. Now, a god needs to be unenshrined before it can be destroyed. Yeah. Like, I think I think that, that goes without saying. I think it's basically you cannot a, a god that is enshrined, even if we were to, like, harm their form because their harm of their form is directly connected to the animus. Like the animus continues to just exude, you know, the abstracts of own. And so it's just like well, it just comes back like there's no destroying that even for a moment. Yeah, essentially, you'd have to destroy the animus, which. Maybe the only thing capable of doing that is the nameless one. Yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine that being a nameless one's, like the nameless one's ultimate goal, because it's like the same as destroying everything that is, like reality yeah. itself. Um, which is, I don't know that unless you are unreal, that you are equipped with the tools necessary to unmake reality. Exactly. Like, I don't think yeah. that a thing that is made can unmake another thing that is made. I think it can only change it into another made form even if it's dismantling it into little parts or bits or turning it into energy or whatever, you can't, there's no amount of plus ones that you can apply to a system to make it negative. Yes, exactly. The only like caveat I'll put there is that obviously the the one who was, was a created being, but Mm -hmm. the nameless one as they currently stand is a being both of creation and of non-creation in a way of, of existence and of non-existence in such a contradictory way that they can harness the powers of non-existence. Well, and they absolutely, absolutely like all of your aberrant chaos sort of uh, uh, energies, not, not all chaos, right? Obviously there are some forms of chaos Mm -hmm. that are ordered or not ordered, but like made, but like the, their whole nature is own was the only one who is able to throw creation, a, a, a created thing out the door, right? Because they're the only thing that is sort of, either outside or on the edge or, or like, you know, beyond creation in this way, Halume in this way. In many ways, I think they're the only one who can perceive the door. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and so like the thing is, is that uh, the nameless one is the exception that proves the rule, but is also the exception that breaks all the rules, right? Like because the nameless one exists in this sort of dual, like dissonant state of both being made and unmade because of the way that they've now interacted with the howling void, Anything that they touch or anybody who reaches out to them, no matter how distant the connection of person to person to person, they spread also like a disease. I mean, I think this is another like place where that shows up well of saying like this is a corruption that corrupts anything it touches. And like the further down the line you go, it's the, the you know, the less like intense and complete the corruption. But there's still a little bit everywhere, which means that if you have a warlock, who's patroned to uh, or patroning, a, you know, a, a powerful force who maybe isn't even eldritch, but like at one time interacted with something eldritch, they can, it's, it's sort of like getting a pin through a hole and pushing it around wider and wider and wider until you can stick your finger in, and then you can start to work the finger wider until you can get your whole hand and then you can start to push, uh, you know, and like break the whole structure apart. It takes a long, long time and a lot of, very precise power but it can be done yes anyways so 
still still gone pretty far afield here and and we've got a few minutes left i think let's maybe we we hit some hard uh uh some good stuff here first of all the forces so so what we've established so far the forces of the absentium are definitely making like very real active war on the ethereum but after avum secunda the physical acts that they are committing are probably more distraction tactics or like surgical techniques than they are just a broad, we're going to push a front forward. Another thing, I don't know that all of the, uh, the, the mutes are interacting with this war the same way. Like, I think I pulled oh, up the list of, of who we've got here, right? And I think the obvious, the easiest one to point to first is Parati, right? Who is obsessed with, with breaking down the Ethereum. But like, a lot of them don't have a goal that necessarily requires them to take down the Ethereum, at least not directly, right? The Carnus just wants to take everything and make it theirs, you know? Um, uh, Isn't that Carnus? Or, oh, Lagazoth? Am I thinking of Lagazoth? That's Lagazoth, yeah. Yeah, because Carnus is the one that's just, like, destroy shit. Carnus wants to Karnas destroy wants everything. to destroy everything, but they might also, he might also want to destroy the Absentium. Like, other realms of the Absentium. And it's just a matter of like, well, the, the clearest, most direct threats right now are the Ethereum. So that's what I'm going to go after. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Karnas occasionally just like violently lashes out at the other mutes or their forces. Yeah, some of the some of it might be some of the play by some of the other mutes might be like, oh, look, Karnas, like we're all so weak and you're so strong compared to all of us, all of those other mutes, that you could destroy us anytime you wanted, so you might as well go for the, the bigger prey, and then you, once you've killed them, you can destroy us, easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That might be some exactly. strategy yeah. for corralling him. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, we work together to take these boys down, and then you can come after us. Yeah. And we can go through the list, but, like, and I'm not necessarily going to do that all right now. Like, Umak is, you know, probably more just like i think that umak is probably one of the most passive ones i don't think that uh she's necessarily engaging nearly as directly with the war she might support other efforts or like do deals where she can gain stuff from others um but i don't think that she's like necessarily actually going to war with yeah the Ethereum. her and i think Lagazoth like, are just like they're they don't care about the war they just care about their stuff like Lagazoth, he only wants stuff and umak, i think Lagazoth wants yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, Umak, I don't really... I don't, Umak's thing Umak is just, like, they want to chill. Umak kind of just is, yeah. yeah. Umak wants to just... Umak is like the Venus flytrap that slowly closes on, on a fly that lands on it. They, they, she's, not, she's not going out of her way to do stuff. Things come to her, and maybe it's that she actually kind of has almost this... Not magnetism, but, like, this gravitational downwell of just things tend to fall towards her. Although we do have that imagery with Lagazoth. Anyways, we should move on from that because there's all, yeah. also tears and there's another thing. There's two things I wanted to just address before we, before we close out this episode. The first thing is I want us to think about, I think we've been doing a pretty good job of thinking about this from the perspective of the absentium or like from that angle, mostly because we don't for very often and because they're the aggressors. And so it makes it easier to kind of look at it from that perspective. What are some of the things that are happening on the ethereal side, right? I want to look at that. And the other thing is, is what are some examples of the scars, like finally getting to the thing, 
what are some of the scars that people are actually experiencing and facing beyond the obvious ones, right? Like we've established souls, uh, souls are getting stolen and stuff, but like, what are the impacts of these scars? How does this change life for people? I think, um, I, I have things for the scars. I'm trying to get to the Ethereum. Um, I do think that there have been some scars on the Ethereum. I think the Ethereum has like mm-hmm. occasionally gotten fucked up by a particularly well-executed fiendish like invasion. I, I mean, I'm willing to say that there is a thread of a chunk, a, a chunk of of like one of the ethereal realms, one of the animus that has been harmed um, in a way where it is sort of like permanently this outpost. You know, sort of almost like a, a shard of land that is protected on a bunch of sides, and is this like outpost that the uh, uh, that the the absentium holds on some level. Um, I'm not even sure how that would work. Yeah. Uh, you know, but like I can totally imagine it's the kind of thing that I want to see, which is like nobody suspects something that Gogra is doing, or maybe tears, and like through long periods of manipulation and machina- machination, like they end up waking up one day and all of a sudden you know the dam has broke and their bed is flooded and it is just like oh wow we need to we need to go uphill like we need to get out of here because um you know this this place has been lost yeah and we didn't realize we thought that it was stable we thought that we had held back the bay but all it took was a single crack and the whole thing burst when they start to get smart about it right when they start to fight smart Parati starts to listen to Gogra, maybe, or Gogra gets better at at insinuating things to Parati, or like Parati just like finds a note under under his bed bed chamber, and it's just like go one one just one word, and he's like, "What the fuck is this?" So definitely scars on the Ethereum for sure. I don't even know what sort of a metaphysical scar would be. I don't know if I have it in me at the moment to sort of think on that clever level. What about like the materium, right? That is where we want to be looking back at. What are some of the based on everything that we have said so far? Wait, we, Frank. I mean, we, we've kind of seen them, right? Like, hold up. Okay, idea. I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, go for it. One of the mutes has a god. Wait, what? Like you mean it, like imprisoned, like, like chained up in their basement, yeah. like they're siphoning? Dude, an enshrined god. They didn't kill him. They stole them. Somehow they like, like, maybe this was the point of, of like stealing this chunk of an animus is it's not even that the, the chunk is no longer there. And it's not even that the animus has stopped sort of like feeding it as a source realm. It's that it, they somehow fucked with the kind of the rules of reality around it and made it so that it was present in the absentium and not where it was located there. And it made it like all of a sudden they had like total exposed access to every facet of this like land of this god they inundate capture shut it down the god tries to escape maybe but where are they gonna go everything around them is the absentium all of a sudden oh that's good dude yeah it reminds me because in 40k in nurgle's garden uh the eldar goddess ista i think her name is who's just like goddess of healing and health and like growth and stuff like this uh he has her like in a cage and he like feeds her Shit. poisons that he's made to test oh out God. The, the, yeah, they're the terrible like effects. It's pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. I like that. I like that a lot. Are there more direct things? Obviously, you know, we have the sort of the 
guerrilla-style tactics. You have incursions showing up from the devils and demons. You definitely have people who, I think all intents and purposes, I can imagine some who are true servants of the, of like the arch devils who actually have a pretty sweet gig when they do make it the absentium. Like their spirit isn't consumed by the mute because they, they accomplish that much on behalf of them. And they're actually rewarded with sort of like an enthroned spot. And then those become the propaganda that then further strengthen the or, or further so, like muddy the waters of like, well, when it's all said and done, like maybe this is a more like the absentia, you know, they're like they're digestion, right? It's they're yeah. not sickness. They're they're just uh, it's the natural life cycle. You know, some things get dis- uh, are, are created and then they're destroyed and then their stuff is remade from them. And the Ethereum's like, yeah, we do that, too. Um, and I then think they're like, yeah, definitely... but you're not cool like us. You're not edgy. That's definitely something that we we haven't talked about. I think we should is I'm taking this from like Matt Coville's Illrigger fluff a little bit, but like uh, he he has this idea of the order of desolation, which is to it, this like literal order established by um, all of the arch devils of hell together, and if you are a knight of this order, it's you like do not, huh? like a co-op everybody yes. contributes a little everybody gets a little uh you do not obey your patron first you obey hell first and then you obey your patron and so yeah they're and they're they yeah. like treated as uh essentially like like landed knights in hell or like in the it, for right. us it would be in the essential realms they're like granted a place in in the in the order and the structure. Yeah, they're treated well. They have a order. title. Like, I mean, and the place can probably be removed. I'm sure yeah, that oh, like yeah. it can be taken away from them. But so long as they like stick with stuff, you have to deal with a little bit of that kind of like weird decor, right? Like your 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 rooms are cast in sort of a blood red light. And maybe there's a lot more like claws the walls on the edges of chairs and the floor than you'd expect. Are made of flesh. The walls of the floor are made of flesh, or, you know, you might have a, a, a lantern that screams when it's lit, you know, and just perpetually screams. Yeah. But hey, you know, like, you're a lord. Could be worse. Exactly. <laughs> well, and the thing, here's the other thing. I think that the absentium, I always like to play with those vibes, right? But I don't think we have to do that. Corruption doesn't necessarily have to be something that is exclusively visual, uh, especially because we've talked about, like, Parati having the sort of the upsetting and disturbing version of perfection, right? It is a city that is so gleaming and so golden and so precise. And so there is clearly like an authoritarian power and energy there. It's like Paris, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, um, what's his name? The guy under Napoleon who basically raised two thirds of the city, uh, destroyed it all and then rebuilt it as this extremely like, I don't know. To be clear, I liked being in Paris. It was a cool city. Very nice. It was also kind of surreal. And I can imagine how, like, 150 years ago, people were upset with the fact that, what's his name, you know, destroyed half the city to make it all look identical to itself. I can imagine Parati doing similar shit. Where it's actually a really beautiful... I mean, and also because the thing is, you need those good optics sometimes, right? Like, Gogra is the persecuted child. She's playing that card constantly. That is a very different kind of portrayal. And I can imagine, you know, we've talked a little bit about her realms and that like Cherithos is like a place where everything just looks like it's, it needs a little TLC. It's like pathetic more than it is uh, fucked up. 
but in a way that pulls at your heartstrings and is carefully engineered to do so, right? Like she's clearly yeah. like designing it that way to manipulate you, but like it is clearly a way that it's not necessarily a place where you're in it and you're like, wow, it's just spikes everywhere, huh? It's like, no, it's like these flowers and they're just wilted a little and, and all you need, they need is a little fla- uh, like love. Cherithos is probably one of the most like metaphysically fucky realms for people to go to mm-hmm. because like, I think it's like Gogra- being gaslit. Yeah, Gogra has like a lot of control over what you see and what you hear. It's an entire realm of gaslighting. I yeah. can totally picture that. Yeah. All right. Well, we should definitely close this one out. Um, I think that the scars are in there, right? Like, I don't know if I could necessarily like I feel like I could list them off, but we definitely talked about plenty as we went. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest scars, which will bring us back to the beginning, Frank, you'll appreciate this, is on the psyche of the people of, of Sadar. Right. The idea that, like, there was maybe once a time when, when, you, then, when there was no death, and if you ever died, you would just reborn in another body and would do the same thing you did. Mm-hmm. But because of the absentium, and obviously they have the blame, even though they're not entirely to blame, right. um, there is now death, and you can just get destroyed. Mm-hmm. You can be tortured for all eternity yeah. in one of the hells, or you can be eaten by a demon. Right. Well, and one of the key things here, too, is that, like, oh, gosh, what was I going to say? You were talking, okay, so you talked about hells, and that, like, oh, yes, it was, it's the fact that, like, it is a people who have been in the midst of a Cold War, right? Like, if you are Russian or American during the 80s, like, there is a fatigue, there is a low-level trauma that you go through because like atomic bombs are just sort of like hefted uh, or like like held like a sort of Damocles over your entire fucking society, you know, like that at any time somebody could just end the world. And like, that's still kind of true. We just distance ourselves from it. People aren't and, as and scared think, anymore. Right. Some. They're not as scared anymore because in multiple generations have been born and died like, it, you know, at, with this as their only context. But what I, where I'm going with this is like, we see very literal versions of that in Avum Tertius, Avum Cordis, Avum Pentis. Like the the ages of societies or civilizations as they are sort of remembered. It, during Avum Tertius, it is less a battleground and more like the ever shifting borders during the Middle Ages, right? Like you have France and Germany and the little like city states and uh, like and and regencies that are constantly pushing against each other and the poor towns on the edge of that, like being like, well, we paid taxes to these people and now all of a sudden we have to pay these taxes to these people and we're constantly getting pushed back and forth. And I think there's a lot of that happening in the Materium, right? There is a, like, there is just, people get exhausted. They're just like, can you guys take it somewhere else? Can you just do it over our heads? Don't, don't involve me with it, right? And that's what we see with the Pax Demiurge. That's how that culminates is, I don't think the war stops with the Pax Demiurge. But it has to change because the absentium now, like, in a lot of ways, I could almost see, like, the Pax Demiurge is being seen as an enormous victory by the absentium because maybe maybe there is something about it that, like, has loosened or weakened the hold of uh, of the absentium as well. But it's like, it's almost like, it's almost like taxes, right? Like, if you tax very aggressively on the wealthy, they're brought much, much lower. And even though they have a lot more money than you still, like, if the bridge or the limits that have been put on the Pax Demiurge have been, have been put in place, the 
the regents are now more on a level playing field with the with the absentium than they used to be. And again, the tactics have to change, but like it, on on an out and out war, literally the number of angels you're allowed to put on the ground has been like there is a cap now. Yeah. So shit like that. Yeah. Should we uh, should we wrap this up? Yep. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard, don't hesitate to share this with others. Feel free to rate slash review us on the podcast platform of your choice. For references to previous episodes and other fun links, refer to the podcast description. You can find our Twitter and email there for asking questions on things you'd like us to cover in a future episode. Thanks as always to Josh, the Silk Man Silker, for the Land of Heroes theme and to Sam Wade for the album art. You can find Sam at by Sam Wade on Twitter and Instagram. We're capping off each episode this season with a reading from the Book of Truth. That being a I'm Religion bot on Twitter. So, uh, Grand Archduke Frank, what excerpt do you have for us today? So, th- this this one, this is one that I just came up with. Uh, a little Lorbit thought here that was inspired by what I just read. There is a temple or a faith or a church or whatever you want to call it that they don't know whether their god is of the ethereum or is a being of the absentium they're not sure and this is the kind of shit in their holy scripture the lord has created and will destroy you so don't be afraid you are not in danger you are simply being cut down like a tree that has been struck by lightning And until next time, don't forget, there are always more trees to get struck by lightning, I guess. There's always more 40k to reference. Bye, everyone. Bye.